listening to the Michael Anthony Bible Teaching Podcast. You can enjoy more messages like this and more with the free Courage Matters app, available in your app store. To invite Michael to speak to your group, visit CourageMatters.com and click on the Your Story tab. Hold on to your seat and open your heart as Mike teaches us from God's Word. Murder by mouth. Murder by mouth. In James chapter 3, the writer in the New Testament is helping us understand what's taught again and again and again in the Old Testament, the importance of the tongue, the importance of the mouth, that what happens with our mouths, what we do with our tongues, the words that we speak have a direct correlation to our love for God and the true identity of whether or not we are related with him and walking with him. Did you know that? Your mouth is the clearest indicator of what's going on in your heart. Same is true in my life, in my heart. It's true in your family as well. It's true in the body of Christ, in the church, whether it's this church or a church anywhere on God's green earth. The mouth is the reflector of the heart and the mind and the soul. The mouth actually is a demonstration of our strength. Remember Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. The idea of loving God while we don't love people in a proactive way, in a real tangible practical way, is not biblical. It's not what is taught from the heart of God in the Bible. It's not possible to love God without loving people. And James is teaching us the ancient truths that are still practical and pertinent, not just in his day, but in our day today. In James chapter 3, verse 1, look what he says. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Now, before you dismiss this and thinking, well, that's just for somebody who's a pastor. That's just for somebody who's a Bible teacher. That's just for somebody who's a Sunday school teacher. Listen, a Christ follower is a Christ follower. A disciple of Jesus Christ is someone who is observing all of the teachings of Jesus Christ. If you don't believe me, look at Matthew chapter 28, the last verses. Go into all the world and preach the gospel, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. Not some of the things or most of the things, but all of the things. See, people are looking at your life as a follower of Jesus Christ. They're listening to your words as a follower of Jesus Christ, and they are making up their minds as to whether or not they want to join you. They're making up their minds as to whether or not this Jesus that we talk about, this Jesus whom we say is the way, the truth, and the life, that nobody comes to the Father except through him, they're making up their decision based on how they see you interacting at the workplace. They're making their decision based on how you are teaching them in the workplace. Your children are making up their minds about whether or not Jesus Christ 
can come into a marriage and turn a marriage around based on how you speak to your spouse. That's the way it works. You are teaching everybody you encounter with your words and with your actions about the validity of this truth in the Bible that there is a God, that he sent his son Jesus Christ, and that when somebody gives their life to Jesus Christ, God himself changes everything about them. You are teaching people with your words. You are teaching people with your actions by the things you do and the things you choose not to do. And so what James is writing here in chapter 3 is pertinent and applicable for you if you are really a Christ follower. Are you? What are you teaching to everyone everywhere you go, all the time, with your mouth. Now let's talk for a moment about the bridle, the bit, and the rudder. The bridle, the bit, and the rudder. Verse 2, James chapter 3. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, able to bridle his whole body. The bridle, those straps of leather that are on the horse's head that have the reins attached to them and the bit that goes into the mouth of the horse. Now try riding a horse. I'm not really recommending this. Try riding a horse without a bridle. Lots of luck getting that horse to go where you want it to go. Verse 3, if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they're so large and are driven by strong winds, they're guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire. A world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue, humanly speaking. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. See, these words might seem new to us. We might think they're New Testament, but they're really Old Testament. James is reminding us of what's taught in the Old Testament. Remember, remember, remember that the teachings of Christianity are rooted in the soil of Judaism. They come from the Old Testament, They point to the Old Testament. The moral teachings, the spiritual obligations that are presented in the Old Testament 
carry over to the New Testament. For example, you must be perfect. You must be without sin. That's clearly taught in the Old Testament. Well, who can fulfill that? Thank you very much. In the New Testament, it's fulfilled through Jesus Christ, that God made him who knew no sin, Jesus Christ. He made him become sin so that by faith in him, you might become the righteousness of God. God placed all of your sin, all of my sin on Jesus and paid that price that you couldn't pay, that I couldn't pay, and gave you and gave me as a result the righteousness that you and I don't deserve so that when God looks at you, when God looks at me, when we've placed our faith in Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross and in who he is as God and Savior, God no longer sees our sin. He sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ. So what James is helping us understand here is that God's standard has not changed. What happens with your mouth? What happens with my mouth? What happens in the course of our conversations with other people is vitally important. It is the clearest indicator of what's going on in our loving or unloving relationship with the Lord. Now let's talk for a moment about murder by mouth, shall we? With our mouths, like James says, we praise our Heavenly Father and then we also curse and speak negatively about people. And James is summarizing a clear teaching in all of the Bible, this should not be the case. It shouldn't be the case in your own private life. It shouldn't be the case in your family. And it shouldn't be the case in the house of God. Look with me at Romans chapter 1, beginning in verse 29. Romans chapter 1, verse 29, one of the clearest passages of Scripture, Romans chapter 1. This is a landslide that Paul is presenting here. Chapter 1 is where Paul is not just opening up his book, the book of Romans, but he's helping us understand what a life looks like when somebody has rejected divine truth, whether it's through the natural order of things, through creation, as Paul says. You can read this on your own, and I highly recommend it. What does a person look like when they reject what God has clearly revealed in creation? What does a person look like when God has handed them over with a seared conscience? What does a person look like when they reject the revelation of God and the promptings of God and the clear teaching of God? That's what Romans chapter 1 is all about. And Paul is helping us understand what you can expect, what I can expect, what anybody and everybody anywhere under the same set of circumstances will experience when we reject God, when we ignore the promptings of God, when we stray from God, the situation does not get better. It gets worse. And that's why we read what we read in verse 29 of Romans chapter 1. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, and malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips. There's the word. They are whisperers, 
talebearers. That's the word that's used in the original language. A person who is a gossip, is a whisperer. A, did you hear what I heard? A talebearer. Somebody who has a reputation if you want the latest skinny. You don't need to buy that magazine at the newsstand. You can go to insert the name right here and they'll be faithful as a whisperer, as a talebearer. They'll fill you in on everything you might want to know. Notice I didn't say need to know. See, one of the things that makes a gossip, a whisperer, so successful is a listening ear. And the reason why whisperer is used is because it seems to give some indication as to the environment in which this takes place. Hey, let me close the door here. Let me not say this so loud because I don't want somebody to know the source of the whisper. Because then I might be somebody who falls under scrutiny and we don't want the words that we say to be scrutinized. We just want to create a little bit of a diversion, a little bit of a distraction, a little bit of a rabbit trail. And unfortunately, in a diabolical sense, sometimes it's not just a little distraction that someone wants to create. Look with me at 2 Corinthians chapter 12. In verse 20, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 20, the same word is used here. The same word is used, that root word, whisperer, whisperings, talebearers, talebearing. That's what's used here. In the Corinthian church, they had every conceivable charismata, every conceivable spiritual gift. That's where we get the word charismatic from, spirituals. Spiritual gifts. The Corinthians had every conceivable spiritual gift. And that's why the Apostle Paul had such difficulty in getting them to accept him as the Apostle that he really was because they're exceedingly great spirituals. They're spiritual gifts. The charismata, the expression of the movement of the Spirit of God in their midst was so strong, they began to think that they were all that when they weren't that. Because you see, the Corinthians forgot every gift they had by definition was a charismata, a spiritual that they had absolutely nothing to do with. They didn't decide what spiritual gifts they were going to give themselves, and neither do you. You don't have a say in that. God decides what spiritual he's going to give you, what charismata he's going to give you, what spiritual gift he's going to give you. You have no say in that. But what you do have a say in is the character that you exercise with those spiritual gifts. You absolutely have a say in your character or lack of character. And Paul had to help them come down a few notches because their spiritual gifts that they had nothing to do with, they started thinking that they were all that and they were very arrogant and prideful and Paul had to get them to come down a few notches and that's why he has to say in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 20, these words. For I fear that perhaps when I come, I may find you not as I wish. 
and that you may find me not as you wish. In other words, it was embarrassing for Paul and it was embarrassing for them. He's basically saying, I wish I didn't have to bring up this subject with you. It's embarrassing to me that I have to bring it up. I wish that you didn't have to hear what I'm going to bring up, but it's, even though it's embarrassing to you, it's necessary and it's essential. Sometimes we need to hear things that we don't want to hear, but in hearing them, we are purified when we take action. Remember, don't confuse education with application. There's a difference. Don't confuse knowing the word of God with the application of the word of God. Sometimes we have to hear difficult things, but in the end, they're for our well-being. They are for the glory of God. And so we welcome the full teaching of God's word from Genesis to Revelation. We welcome hearing from the Apostle Paul, don't we? We welcome hearing from God himself, don't we? And that's why Paul says what he says here, for I fear that perhaps when I come, I may find you not as I wish and that you may find me not as you wish. Why? All because they weren't willing to deal with a sin issue. Sin is an embarrassment. It'll embarrass you in your own life. It'll embarrass your family. It's an embarrassment in the church, and we'll get there in just a moment. Paul says that perhaps when I get there, there may be quarreling, jealousy, anger, hostility, slander, whisperings, tailbearings, gossip, conceit, and disorder. This group of people who had every blessing imaginable blessed financially as well as spiritually, blessed in all kinds of the movement of the Spirit of God. They were fundamentally deficient in this area where it comes to, as we're addressing today, the bridle and the bit, the rudder of the tongue. They were whisperers. They were tail-bearers. When instead of talking about Jesus and all the amazing things that God was doing in their midst, they were enamored. Can you imagine the foolishness? They had allowed themselves to begin to talk about petty, ridiculous, temporal, stupid things. When they had every reason to be enamored with the living and true God who took away every single one of their sins and was manifesting himself powerfully in their midst in unmistakable, unprecedented ways. And they were sidetracked. You know, you might be listening by radio or podcast and you might have had something happen in your church where people have left your church And they've made it very abundantly clear why they left the church, even though it was their side of the story and not the whole story. Why do I say that? Because it's not just true in other churches, it's true in our church. Can we be honest for a moment? Imagine that, honesty in church, transparency in church. You see, there are people who have left this fellowship And they've gone out and they've talked to other people and they continue to talk to other people. And what makes matters worse is that some people are listening to the chatter 
and allowing themselves to be affected because they're listening to something that they should not listen to. See, I don't care about someone's opinion of me. I really don't care. And in fact, if somebody is out talking about me, pray for that person. Feel sorry for that person. They need to get a life. I'm really not that important a person to be talking about. But when they're talking about God and the movement of God and the bride of Jesus Christ, that's a whole Another story. See, how would you like it if I talked about your bride? See, a man doesn't like that if somebody talks down about his wife, even if your marital relationship isn't all that good. The moment, you want to see how a man can change on a dime? The moment you start speaking against his bride or implying they could have just had a tumultuous argument, but the moment somebody else who's not married to that bride starts speaking about that bride, you're going to get that guy's ire going in a heartbeat. No man likes and tolerates when another man talks ill about his bride. How much more the bridegroom, Jesus Christ. You see, there are people who cannot appreciate the fact that almost 500 people have come to know Christ in less than three years here. Yeah, it's, it's good to clap. It's true. There are people whose lives have been turned around, marriages that have been saved and rescued on the brink of of divorce, and Jesus has come in and rescued those marriages. There have been numerous physical healings, and I'm not talking about the history of the whole church. I'm just talking about even in recent history where people have been bodily, physically healed. And you say, well, I don't believe that happens. Well, nonetheless, it happens. You don't have to believe everything for it to be true. By the grace of Almighty God, you... We together paid off in about a year and a half length of time a mortgage that was nearly half a million dollars. In this economy that happened, that's called God moving. Somebody donated chairs to the back there to finish off the whole auditorium. 700 chairs that would have cost us over a quarter of a million dollars to buy and install them. They were given to us free. There's something to whisper about. I wonder what God wants to do with this auditorium. Somebody next door wanted to put up the land for sale, the eight acres, and we had a meeting last week to decide if we were going to buy that land for $125,000. And the answer was unanimous, except for one person. There's always one person. Not only to buy the land, but then the pledges came in where people were saying, I want to give this much over the next two years toward the purchase of that land. And already, without even bringing it to the rest of the congregation, $105,000 has been pledged to the purchase of that land. Now, now somebody can talk about little stuff all they want, but it's time we become big boys and big girls and start talking about our big God. Because the truth of the matter is, 
When we allow ourselves to talk about petty, foolish, ridiculous things, what part of salvation are you forgetting? What part of miraculous healing are you leaving out? What part of God's provision in this economy are you leaving out? What part of the movement of God are you so unable to see because you are so blinded and so calloused of heart that you would spend your time talking about little things when we have a big God to talk about? And we're in the midst of a big movement of the Spirit of God. That's something we should be talking about. And it's not just something. He is a someone. We've got someone to talk about. Now, what is gossip? Something in addition to gossip that's even worse than gossip. And we're going to get there in just a moment. But before we do, I want to draw your attention to a movie that came out in 2008 with Philip Seymour Hoffman and Meryl Streep and Amy Adams in a movie called Doubt. The movie is a difficult one to watch, but it will change your life. I highly recommend it. Philip Seymour Hoffman plays a priest, a Catholic priest. And in this clip that I want to show you, I want you to get a deeper understanding of what it means to whisper and what it means to be a talebearer, and worse than that, what it means to slander. Let's watch. A woman was gossiping with a friend about a man she hardly knew. I know none of you have ever done this. That night she had a dream. A great hand appeared over her and pointed down at her. She was immediately seized with an overwhelming sense of guilt. The next day she went to confession. She got the old parish priest, Father Arar. She told him the whole thing. Is gossiping a sin? She asked the old man. Was that the hand of God Almighty pointing a finger at me? Should I be asking your absolution, Father? Tell me, have I done something wrong? Yes. Father O'Rourke answered her. Yes, you ignorant, badly brought up female. You've borne false witness against your neighbor. You played fast and loose with his reputation, and you should be heartily ashamed. So, the woman said she was sorry and asked for forgiveness. Not so fast, says O'Rourke. I want you to go home, take a pillar upon your roof, cut it open with a knife, then return here to me. So the woman went home took a pillow off her bed, a knife from the drawer, went up the fire escape to her roof, and stabbed the pillow. Then she went back to the old parish priest as instructed. Did you gut the pillow with a knife? He says. Yes, Father. And what was the result? Feathers, she said. Feathers, he repeated. Feathers everywhere, Father. Now, I want you to go back and gather up every last feather that flew out on the wind. Well, she said, it can't be done. I don't know where they went. The wind took them all over. And that, said Father O'Rourke, is gossip. 
In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. Strange how we, who have the greatest news given to man in the church, have such amazing things to talk about, and yet we often allow ourselves to stoop to far less. While gossip is to whisper or to be a talebearer, slander is gossip on steroids. Slander is to defame, to injure someone's reputation through the things that are said. Interesting, the root word that's used in one of the instances where it's translated. In Matthew chapter 4, one of the most famous passages of Scripture is Jesus' temptation. Not that Jesus was tempted internally, but he allowed himself to be tempted externally. By external means, Jesus proactively went out into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil for 40 days and for 40 nights. And the word that's translated into devil in Matthew chapter 4 is the same word, the root of that word is translated as slander elsewhere in the Bible. So if you were to read Matthew chapter 4 and every time replace the word devil with slanderer, you'd have an accurate interpretation because it gives us an understanding as to the activity of the devil. He is a slanderer. He defames. He says things about people that should not be said. He doesn't play in an honest, above-board way. He's underhanded. He's a backstabber. In the book of Revelation, he's called the accuser of the brethren. He's a slanderer. The slanderer tempted Jesus for 40 days and for 40 nights. The slanderer, well-versed in Scripture, bringing up a Scripture out of context at the right moment to try to get Jesus to trip himself up. Imagine if Jesus would have given in. Imagine if Jesus wasn't faithful to the point of his own death on that cross. You and I would have no opportunity for salvation. We would have had no kinsman redeemer, no one-for-one sacrifice, and we would be living this life in a state of despair, of unparalleled significance, going out of this life into the next with no hope, none of us. Jesus endured the comments by the slanderer. Now look with me. At 2 Timothy chapter 3, 2 Timothy chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy. Verse 3, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous. There it is. Without self-control, brutal, not loving good. The word slanderous that is used there is from the same root as what is used in Matthew chapter 4 that is translated as devil. Do we understand that when we engage in slander, we are speaking the devil's language? When we participate in gossip 
or in slander. We are holding the devil's hand and speaking his native language. One of the things that God requires of a real Christ follower is that we be minorities in a majority world. The scriptures say, we just read an excerpt of it from 2 Timothy chapter 3. One of the characteristics of the world in the last of the last days will be that most people will be slanderers. They will be defamers. They will injure the reputations of other people with the words that they say. And what God wants you to do is God wants you to become someone who's not a slanderer, but more and more by the grace of Almighty God, through the Spirit of God, and by submitting yourself to the Word of God, being in the Word of God on a daily basis, submitting to the Word of God, submitting to the Spirit of God, letting God renew your mind, letting God get a hold of your conscience. God wants you to be a minority, not a slanderer, but a life giver with the words that you say. It's so sad. It's beyond sad. It is diabolical. For a Christ follower to engage in gossip and slander. You know, the ancient teaching among the Jews, which is not so ancient, it's still pertinent and practical today is that when somebody gossips or slanders, they kill at least three people. When we gossip or slander, we kill at least three people. You know that commandment, you shalt not unjustly take a life, you shalt not murder? Here's a practical application. You kill yourself for having said it. You kill the person who was listening because they tolerated it, and you kill the person about whom you just spoke. Now, it's important to understand this idea of listening as opposed to just hearing. You're going to, in the course of your life, hear many things about people and circumstances and situations about which God does not hold you guilty. Just hearing something does not necessarily make you guilty. It's when you listen to what you heard. That makes you a participant in it. And not only just merely a participant, but also someone who is heavily damaged and worse off for having listened. Some great questions that you can get into your own vocabulary in your discussions with people is when somebody says something to you, you can ask them, is this really something that I need to hear? Have you gone and talked to the other person or people about this? Is this something I need to hear? Is this something that's going to help me in life's greatest pursuit? Remember that? Life's greatest pursuit. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, and love my neighbor as myself. Really? This whispering you're about to unleash on me, this tale you're going to tell me, is going to help me love God with all of my being, it's going to help me love my neighbor as myself. Well, no, I wasn't thinking about it that way. Then I don't want to hear it. I don't want to listen to it. I don't know why it is that there are certain sins in the body of Christ which we belittle and we justify them in a number of ways when biblically 
there's no justification. Does the person to whom you're about to speak need to hear what you're about to say? Does it help you love God and love your neighbor as yourself? Or is it simply a whispering? Or worse yet, a defamation of character? The unjust ruining of a life. And by the way, when it comes to the body of Christ, when we defame another brother or sister in Christ, when we spread things that other people don't need to hear, or when we tell falsehoods and present them as truths, we're giving Jesus a black eye. Have you ever thought about it that way? Look with me at the book of Jude. Right before the book of Revelation is this small, one-chapter book, the book of Jude. And in verse 9 is an amazing little verse of Scripture, potent, powerful, life-changing. Here it is. Now, I don't want to get into the peripheral issues of Jude 9 because this presents a little bit of mystery, as you're going to see in a moment, a little bit of curiosity, as you're going to see in a moment. And the tendency in your life and mine is to go off on a rabbit trail about the curious thing and to miss the black and white that's right there shouting at us with absolute clarity. Look with me. Jude, verse 9. But when the archangel Michael contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses. That's the mysterious part that I was referring to. He did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, the Lord rebuke you. Now, this is absolutely fascinating. Imagine if you had a face-to-face encounter with the devil. Now, you are having a face-to-face encounter with the devil whenever you're encountering somebody who's gossiping and slandering. Those people might not know it, and they might be well-intentioned people. There are many people who are successful in the world, but still spiritually a failure. There are many people with, quote-unquote, great reputations in the church, but they are before God the source of gossip, the source of slandering, the source of a lot of great, and by great I don't mean good, I mean significant, difficulty that people are experiencing because they're talking about little things that they shouldn't be talking about. What's fascinating about Jude verse 9, imagine that you were Michael the archangel. The name Michael means who is like God. It's a question in the original Hebrew, which is designed to do two things. Create the answer that no one is like God. And secondly, will you be like God in character? See, the devil's sin was that he wanted to be like God, but not in character as the center of attention. But you and I, as Christ followers, are to be like God in character. Can you imagine if you were in Michael's shoes, here is the ancient dragon, the serpent, the deceiver of the brethren, the slanderer, the underhanded conniver, standing right before you for another day and another time we talk about the disputing over the body of Moses. But right here and right now, we talk about this. Wouldn't you be tempted to say something to that undermining, underhanded, liar, deceiver, 
conniver, gossiper, slanderer, and yet Michael didn't do that. He said, the Lord rebuke you. Significant. It's translated as blasphemy here. Could easily have been translated as slanderous accusation or slanderous word. But here it's translated as blasphemous. It's the same exact word that's used in the book of Ephesians. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4 in verse 31. Fitting the context, sometimes it's translated as blasphemous, sometimes it's translated as slanderous, but it's the same word in the original language. And why do I bring this up? Because it will help you and help me get an understanding about what God requires from a Christ follower. What kind of language is suitable for a Christ follower and what kind of language and behavior is not suitable? What kind of language and behavior is angelic in a good way and what kind of language and behavior is demonic? In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31... Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and blasphemies or slander be put away from you along with all malice. That word that's translated as slander is the same word that we just read in Jude, verse 9. Listen, if it was not appropriate for an archangel to hurl an insult at the devil, then who are you and who am I to hurl an accusation against another brother or sister in Christ? It is not a small sin. It is huge when we look at the words that are used here. It is massive. It is significant. It is diabolical. It is satanic. And you must, I must, have zero tolerance for that type of language in your own life coming out of your own mouth or going into your own ears. Stemming from your own family or coming into your family or being tolerated in the household of God. It doesn't get much clearer than that. If the archangel, Michael, facing the devil of all entities, this is the devil we're talking about, and yet he entrusted himself to the Lord. Michael entrusted himself to the Lord and did not bring, when he had every opportunity, even to speak the truth, he didn't. Where's the chapter and verse that you or I might use to try to justify whispering and tailbearing? And defamation and the unjust destruction of someone's reputation through slander. It doesn't exist, but it happens all the time. So you do have a say in what someone else says. Are you going to let them keep saying it? Are you going to say, we're not going there? That's what a Christ follower does. Excuse me, I want to prevent you from committing spiritual suicide. You're going to shoot yourself right now if I don't step in 
and disarm you with the words that shouldn't even be in your heart, let alone about to come out of your mouth. Step in and love your brother as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. Interrupt your spouse and say, honey, don't go there. Interrupt your children and say, no, we don't do that. In the household of God, when you hear somebody slandering the work of God, the movement of God, you should be upset and with great humility because it could be you. Maybe not now, but eventually. With great humility, you need to step in and say, sister, brother, before you pull the trigger, let me have that gun. Please don't pollute my ears with a type of language that the devil uses, with a methodology that Satan uses. Please don't do that. And please don't spread a rumor about somebody when we have the greatest rumor on the planet to spread, it's that God through Christ forgave you and he forgave me and he'll forgive anybody, anywhere, all the time, not by what we've done, but by what Jesus Christ has done. You know, you might say to yourself, well, well then by that understanding, there's nothing that I could say at any time about anybody. No, this is where you need to read the full counsel of God's word because there are times. We're not used to it today because we're more afraid of lawsuits than we are the living and true God. There are times when we should not care. You know, the Bible says when somebody who's supposed to be a believer brings up a lawsuit against another believer, it's a reflection on them, not you. Their carnality, not your carnality. In the book of 3 John, which is right before the book of Jude, there's a story, an instance that's recorded forever in the New Testament about a character. Yeah, this guy was a real character because he makes it into the record of Scripture in about the most negative, unfortunate way you could possibly imagine. In 3 John, verse 9, the writer says this, I've written something to the church, but Diotrephes who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. There is such a thing as human authority under God. So if I come, I will bring up what he's doing, talking wicked nonsense against us. And not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. Here we have the Apostle Paul not being fearful of a lawsuit, but being fearful and reverent for our Almighty God. There are instances where somebody needs to be named because other people need to be warned so that the murder by mouth is not perpetrated even further. And this is one such instance. Not the only instance if we look at 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 14. 
says this, Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Another individual specifically mentioned by name called out because their behavior was divisive. God doesn't like divisiveness. He takes it seriously. He doesn't like divisiveness in the family. It's contrary to his purpose, his created purpose, and that's why the devil is going after the family and redefining the the family, at least attempting to do it. It can't be ultimately redefined because God defines what a family is. God hates divisiveness. He hates gossip that creates divisiveness. He hates slander that creates divisiveness. And these aren't the only instances in Scripture. The writer of Hebrews talks about the two magicians in Pharaoh's court, Janus and Jambres, who were divisive and they created difficulty and hardship. Ananias and Sapphira are clearly mentioned in Acts chapter 5, where the name and the face and the behavior is clearly identified so that Other people might see what they're doing, have the fear of God and say, don't do what that person did. Don't do what this person is doing. Don't go down the way, the road of Korah in Numbers chapter 16, where it wasn't just Korah, it's two of his partners in crime, forever recorded in Scripture because they were divisive when they should have been unifying age and should have been following God. But no, they let themselves become enamored with lesser things. They let themselves become distracted and perverted from sincere and pure devotion to God. And it's a danger that any one of us at any time, every one of us, all the time are in danger of saying something we shouldn't say. Have you heard? Listening to someone we should not listen to and committing, whether knowingly or unknowingly, intentionally or unintentionally, murder by mouth. God's vision for your life and God's vision for your family. It's God's vision for my life and God's vision for my family. God's vision for this church is God's vision for every church. And God's vision is the prioritization of loving relationships that we should love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, with all our strength, and we are to likewise love our neighbor as ourselves. There is no commandment greater than these. There is no vision for your life or your family or the church greater than loving God and gossip and slander, whispering, and defaming directly, overtly, and diabolically undermine God's vision and mission and best in a life and in a family and a church. You've been listening to the Michael Anthony Bible Teaching Podcast. We'd love to hear how this message impacted you. To share your story, visit CourageMatters.com and click on the Your Story tab. If you enjoyed this message, you'll love Michael Anthony's Courage Matters podcast. 
where he focuses on leadership, relationships, and world events. To learn more, visit CourageMatters.com. In the meantime, keep looking up. There's no place else worth looking.